Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. We've got a uh, a special treat. Most of you uh, may uh, have seen Zach Mahaffey sitting back on the board lots of Sundays, and he gets here early sometimes and opens things up and gets things ready. Well, Zach uh, is kind of, you're kind of an OG around here, aren't you? Zach's been, Zach's been part of the, the Reach Life family uh, from the jump pretty much. And so, uh, so we're grateful to have Zach is actually going to be bringing the message this morning. Zach uh, approached James and I, said, man, I, you know, I'd like to dig into learning uh, preaching and that sort of thing. So James and I have been working with Zach. You can come on up, man. Uh, James and I have been working with Zach and... Uh, I don't, I'm not sure that we're the best models to learn to, to preach from, but, uh, but uh, Zach has been gracious to work with us, and man, he's been um, in the lab working hard, and like preaching lab working hard, where he had, to, he had to preach to me and James by ourselves and get critiqued, and Mayor, poor Mary Beth has had to hear the message over and over and over, Zach's practice. Kelly has to hear mine in advance on every Sunday as well, so um, man, so listen, um, the word, I, I know what Zach's going to say today. He's going to be bringing, I believe, a strong message from the Word of God. And so if I believe if you will hear Zach prayerfully today, you will also hear him profitably today, right? Zach, share from the Word of God with us today. Would you? Yeah, thank you. Um, good morning. Uh, like Terry said, my name is Zach Mahaffey, and I am a covenant member here at Reach Life Church. And uh, before I get into the Word, I'm just going to start us off with a word of prayer. So, Lord, we've come before you this morning. We thank you for this time. We thank you for these people that are here, anybody that just tunes in at any point in time. Lord, we, we uh, thank you for just the privilege to gather together, to talk about you, to sing about you, to just worship and remember you. Lord, just ask you would be uh, present in this building, that your word would be received as it's meant to, that uh, my words wouldn't be heard, but it would be your spirit that, that is the one that's uh, being heard in this place, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, today we're going to be continuing in our series entitled The Big Picture, where we're taking a wider look at the book, all 66 books of the Bible, you know, coming together to show us what God's redeeming plan for humanity is through his son, Jesus. Because God's telling one long narrative, one true story through the whole Bible. And today we're going to be looking at the first part of the book of Exodus, spanning from chapter 1 to chapter 18. Um, In my message that I called, Our Purpose in His Plan. And so before we actually get into the book of Exodus this morning, I want to start off with a couple questions. Uh, First, and this this should apply to most people in this room at least, do you remember what life was like before you had a smartphone? Do you remember that? It's It's been a few years, I know, but more specifically, do you remember what driving was like before you had a smartphone and GPS, just knowing where you was at and where you were going at all times? See, I was actually able to get a few years of driving experience in before I had a smartphone and GPS. I think I was like three years in, and then I had it. I was there. I knew where I was at all times. But uh, 
Before I had my smartphone, I relied on a website called MapQuest to get my directions for wherever, wherever I was going, where I didn't know. You know, I'd go online and I'd type in the address where I was going and I would figure out how to get there. And if I had a printer, I would print off those directions and have them with me while I was driving and I would never be lost. Or if I didn't have a printer, I would just handwrite them. But I had my directions to where I was going. And Pretty often, you know, I didn't have the address to where I was going or I just didn't have access to a computer and MapQuest. So the other way that I would get directions to places was I relied on other people, you know, either telling me how to get to somewhere or sending me directions themselves. But more often than not, it was me talking to somebody over the phone, then trying to describe, you know, how to get to wherever it was. And, you know, these verbal directions often went something like, take exit 39 and then you're going to keep going until you see the light and you'll turn right at the light and then you're going to see this big local landmark whatever it is right here and that's where you turn left and ultimately they always ended with if you hit this bridge you've gone too far you need to turn around you know and so that's how I got from point A to point B whenever I first started off driving and driving using these types of directions made me feel very anxious and lost. I was never really a confident driver as it was, so if I was behind the wheel and didn't know where I was going and was trying to rely on somebody else's directions to get there, it just threw me off my game anymore. I mean, I'm trying to drive. I'm trying to remember what the person told me. I'm trying to look for whatever landmark it is that I'm looking for and not hit other people in the process, and I just, it, it was overwhelming to me. Um, and it's hard for me to know if I was going the right way until I would always hit that thing that I, you know, if I seen that, I need to turn around. It's like I'd hit that and be like, oh, wait a minute, I went too far. Turn around and wherever I was going, my destination was right where it was supposed to be. I was the one that couldn't really figure out where it was. Um, and so that's the thing, you know, the directions that I got most of the time were good directions. It was usually my ability to apply and follow those directions that were flawed. Um, and so the point I'm trying to make this morning is uh, following God can feel like that sometimes, right? It can feel, uh, I can feel anxious and lost trying to just follow God wherever he's leading me at in my life. And even though, you know, I know he's given me a, a book full of directions, I still feel anxious and lost trying to navigate that in aspect, you know, in, in relation to where I'm at in my real life. And so, uh, as we explore this first part of the book of Exodus, I want to take a closer look at how the covenant-making God advances his plan through both willing and unwilling people and the different ways that we as people can respond to his plan. Um, and so Exodus picks up exactly where the book of Genesis left off last week. So Joseph has died, and Abraham's offspring is now expanding and growing into this great nation called Israel. Um, and so immediately, we're reminded, and if you take notes, this is going to be our first point today, God laid out his plan. And when I say his plan here, I think the best example of what I mean can be found back in Genesis 15, um, where we see that God made his covenant with Abraham, and then, spoiler alert, he told Abraham about all the events that we're going to be going through today. I mean, this is 400 years prior. God's talking to Abraham about the events that his offspring is going to suffer and go through uh, in this first part of the book of Exodus. And so God said to Abraham back in Genesis 15, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, 
and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And so here we see that God has clearly established his plans for Abraham's offspring. He's made it known to Abraham way in the present, hey, this is what's going to happen. And so in Exodus chapter 1, we see following the death of Joseph that the people of Israel were fruitful. They grew exceedingly strong in the land. They filled the land, and they just continued to multiply. Uh, Verse 8 of chapter 1 tells us that now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So just as Joseph has died and all the people of his generation have died, the Pharaoh that Joseph knew that invited the people of Israel into his land has died also. And there's a new uh, king over Egypt, and he did not know Joseph. He did not have any relation with Joseph or the Israelite people. And so instead of seeing the people of Israel as a blessing, like the prior Pharaoh did whenever he invited the people of Israel in, this Pharaoh was only fearful of them due to their numbers and their strengths. And this fear ultimately leads Pharaoh to enslave the people of Israel. Um, his hatred makes, them, makes him increase his uh, slavery to the point to where he kills every Hebrew son that's born to these Israelite people. Um, In verse 22 of chapter 1, we see that Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And so based on how Pharaoh has treated God's people, he's enslaved them, he's forced them into hard labor just for being there and being a a great number and and looking scary, looking strong, He's also killed all their firstborn sons, killed all their sons, killed all the sons of the Hebrews. So based on how Pharaoh's treated God's people, we can see that God's plan doesn't always play out like we expect it to. And so uh, can you see how, you know, the people of Israel in this position that they're in now might be feeling anxious and lost? Just assuming that they remember what Joseph told them on his deathbed, he said, hey, God's going to send someone to lead you out of the land of Egypt and take my bones with you when you go. So if they remembered that, if they remember Joseph telling them, hey, someone's going to come bring you out of Egypt, being enslaved, forced into hard labor, and having their sons killed probably wasn't what they was expecting to happen whenever they was expecting to be brought out of Egypt, right? And so whenever things start going the way that we don't expect, does that mean that God's not in control? I would say by no means. Uh, In fact, if we go back to Joseph's time as second in command of all of Egypt, we can see that God actually allowed Egypt to be built up into this great nation, and he allowed Pharaoh to have power to begin with. So back in Genesis 47, verse 20 and 21 says this, So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, and For all the Egyptians sold their fields, because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them, from one end of Egypt to the other. Pharaoh would have no kingdom or any power if it wasn't 
for God. See, God allowed it to happen. And I believe that Pharaoh's aggression towards God's people in this moment doesn't surprise God. It doesn't derail God's plans. It's not, uh, it's not something that's going to throw God off of his game. And so while Pharaoh was trying to bring Abraham's bloodline to an end by killing his, his sons, we see that instead of Pharaoh's plan prevailing, it is God's plan that always prevails. See, in Exodus chapter 2, despite Pharaoh's command, a Hebrew woman still went out and gave birth. Uh, she, ended up, she gave birth to a son. She was able to hide him for three months until she could hide him no longer. And when she could hide him no longer, she prepared a special basket. The word that's used there in Exodus for the basket that she prepared is the same word that's used in Genesis for the ark that Noah got on. And so she prepares this ark-like basket for the baby, and she places him in it in the river. And the daughter of Pharaoh is the one who finds this baby on the river. And knowing that he was a Hebrew from the jump, she still showed pity on him and chose to save him and raise him as her own son. And this baby is uh, who we know as Moses. Um, and Pharaoh, this is, this is how God works. See, Pharaoh was trying to kill all of the sons of the Hebrews, right? That was his intention. That was his plan. And instead, God set Moses apart and had him be raised inside of Pharaoh's house as his daughter's son. Um, and it just brought to my mind what Proverbs 19.21 says. It says that many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And a different way to say that is many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will prevail. And so what Pharaoh meant for evil, God used for good. And it's the same, the same it's, that is exactly what's true today for those of us who choose to follow the Lord. Uh, people can mean many things against us. People can mean evil against us, but God's going to take that same evil and turn it around for good. Another element of God's plan that we see in Exodus chapter 2 is that God's plan doesn't happen in our time, but instead God's plan happens in his time. And so Moses grows up as Pharaoh's, in Pharaoh's house as Pharaoh's daughter's son. Um, Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26, this author gives us a little bit of insight as to what Moses was doing. It says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. And suffer Moses would. Um, when he attempts to enact his own plan on his own time by uh, murdering an Egyptian who is beating a Hebrew. Uh, and whenever he murders this Egyptian, he then tries to hide the body, and the body actually wasn't very well hidden because the next day you have Egyptians calling him out, you have Hebrews not, not accepting him. He didn't get the acceptance from his Hebrew brothers like he expected. And so both rejected by the Hebrews and now wanted by Pharaoh and the Egyptians Moses flees to a land called Midian. And it was while Moses was in this land called Midian that uh, Exodus 2, 23 through 25 tells us, During those days, the king of Egypt died, 
And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And so the question that comes to my mind here is, if God remembered his covenant with Abraham, does that mean that he forgot about it at some point in time? And I would say no, because we actually see this same phrase, God remembered, used over 70 times in the scripture. And each time that it's used, God is bringing special attention to a promise that he's already made. And so I would say that now the time has passed from whenever God had told Abraham in Genesis 15, this is what's going on with your your offspring. And, And now this time has passed and it is time for this plan, this promise to be kept through Moses. And so God remembered his people right as Moses is in the wilderness, rejected by the people, because Moses is going to be the one that God uses to enact this plan. Uh, here, we are going to see, here God is about to reveal himself to Moses, and he's going to continue accomplishing his plan, God's plan, in the time that he has set forward. Because uh, Moses tried to go and do his own thing, and it wasn't what God had for him, uh, And like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before him, we can now look at Moses and God's relationship to see how God has laid out our path, and that's going to be our second main point today. Um, And so for just a minute, let's think back to the beginning uh, of my my message today whenever I was talking about this pre-smartphone era direction giving, right? And so if God is the one that gives us directions, either through his word, through through uh, his son Jesus, through the way that he's called us into uh, the body, um, then we can safely assume that the directions that God has laid out for us are perfect, right? If God gives us something to do, if he tells us this is what's going to happen, then that's, that's exactly what we should believe is going to happen. Um, I see that the flaw would come with our ability to process and apply the directions that God gives us most of the time. In other words, uh, how well do we actually follow what God is telling us to do? How well do we actually uh, see the, the big picture of what God is saying and then get from point A to point B correctly? Um, we can have perfect directions and still end up in the wrong place if we don't apply those directions correctly, right? And so let's look at how Moses and Pharaoh respond, both respond to God's plan in the different paths that they end up going down in their responses to what God's plan is, the plan that God has set forth. And so the first thing I want to look at is this path called the path of humility. Um, the path of humility is this path that is walked by Moses. Uh, in Exodus chapter 3, God appears to Moses in a flame coming out of a bush, and God goes on to tell Moses that he will be sent to Pharaoh to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt and into their promised land. Moses is hesitant whenever God tells him this, and he responds in verse 11 of chapter 3 by saying, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? To which God then responds, But I will be with you, And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And that's a sign that we will see come to pass in part two of Exodus next week. See, a key difference between uh, now, where God is at with 
Moses in the wilderness coming to him in this, in this flame. And when Moses enacted his own judgment on the, the Egyptian that was beating a Hebrew back in Egypt is this, this phrase that God says right here. He says, but I will be with you. See, Moses still doubts, even though he knows now that God's going to be with him. And God continues to equip him with everything that he can to complete the task that he's given him. And so God equips Moses with several different things, the first of which is his name. He gives Moses his name to take to the people of God so that they know who it is that has sent Moses to free him. He says that I am who I am. He he equips Moses with his name. He then equips Moses with the very words to say. He tells him exactly what to go to the people of Egypt and say, or the people of Israel and say. He tells him exactly what to go to Pharaoh and say. Moses isn't having to do a lot of thinking here. He's just listening and obeying. God then equips Moses with this knowledge that Pharaoh won't let them go immediately. You see, God specifically tells Moses that he's going to go to him and that Pharaoh's not going to let his people go. And whether Moses remembered that or not in in the actual goings, I don't know, but God did equip him with that knowledge beforehand. He he knew that it wasn't going to be an easy path. It wasn't going to be a walk out of Egypt type of uh, going. Uh, God then continued to equip Moses with powerful signs through his staff, his cloak, some water from the Nile River, And then he eventually equips him with even his brother, Aaron, to speak and be his mouthpiece. You see, Moses keeps coming back at God every time he tells him to go, tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and he tells him why he can't. And each time that he tells him a reason that he can't, God then equips him with that exact thing to cover that reason. Because God doesn't send us to do anything that we're not equipped to do or that he's not going to equip us to do. All we have to do is go to him. We have to ask him. We have to point out that we need this equipping, that we're not equipped to handle the job, and he, he gladly equips us. See, God is the one who called and equipped Moses for his plan. And as we continue into chapter 4, Moses is now leaving to go back to Egypt. Um, And God tells him this very specific thing in verse 22 of chapter 4. He says, Israel, tell Pharaoh, he says to say this to Pharaoh, he says, Israel is my firstborn son, and to let my son go so that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn son. And this is, again, a foreshadowing, God laying out the plan. He's he's telling Moses how far Pharaoh is going to be willing to go before he ultimately lets God's people go. Um, Aaron now comes out into the wilderness and meets Moses, and the two of them convene and are going to the people of Israel who are in Egypt to tell them what God had told him to tell them. And so they go to the people of Israel in Egypt, and they, they share what God's name is. They, they tell him that they're going to be releasing them from Israel, or Egypt. And all the people of Israel worshipped God and, and believed what Moses was saying. Um, what we see next is that Moses and Aaron then go to Pharaoh, doing what God had said to do, and they deliver God's message saying, let my people go, let God's people go. Moses, throughout his uh, conversation with God in the wilderness and now leaving the wilderness and going back into Egypt, he has humbled himself before God. 
He's done what he's asked him to do. He's recognized that it is God that is over him, and it is God that is in control, and he has now come underneath God and worked in collaboration with him to accomplish his plan. And so this is the path that Moses is going to continue to walk throughout the rest of at least our uh, section in Exodus today. And it's, it's a path that we have to choose to walk. See, Moses didn't end up on this path of humility by accident. He chose to be on this path. He chose to come underneath God. He didn't reject God whenever God came to him. He, he gladly accepted the call that God had put on his life, and now he's walking with him. And so uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh with Aaron. They say, you know, God said, let us go to the uh, wilderness to worship him for a few days, and Pharaoh ultimately rejects Moses' plea to go and worship God. And when this happens, the people of Israel that are in Egypt, they, they turn their back on Moses because Moses said that we was going to be set free. And uh, Moses then questions what God was doing. See, he goes to God and he says, God, why, what's going on? And God reassures Moses that he is in control. He doesn't send him away. He's not angry that Moses come to him and, and question him again. Uh, and what we see is that through this, Moses and Aaron continue to go to Pharaoh, continue to give him this same message, let my people go, a total of you know, nine times laying out ten different plagues that are going to happen uh, in increasing, uh, increasing, I guess, harshness because the, the punishment is severe, and, and that's what happens. And so the path of humility, right, looks like this for all of us. It looks like what Moses is doing here. He's believed God is who he said he is, and even in the face of this adversity, even in the face of being rejected by Pharaoh and then the people of Israel turning his back on him again, uh, he's continued to trust God to equip him to do whatever it is that he's called him to do. And that's really all that God's asked us to do as well. Um, but when someone instead doesn't believe that God is who he says that he is and doesn't want to come underneath God as the head of their life, uh, they will then embark on this path that I've called the path of arrogance. And so uh, this path is walked by Pharaoh, and we're going to see that pretty clear here in Exodus chapter 5. Uh, Moses and Aaron have went to Pharaoh, right, and they've said, hey, let God's people go. And Pharaoh responds to Moses in verse 2 of chapter 5 by saying, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. He then, instead of just saying no and sending them away, takes the straw that is used by the Israelites to make bricks away from them. He takes away their resource that they need to complete their job and then requires them to turn in the exact same amount of bricks without having this resource, making them work infinitely harder than before to do a task that they can't even accomplish. And so Pharaoh continues to reject God's request to let his people go. Uh, this is the first time that they went. As Moses starts performing signs, so next they'll go to him and, and Moses and Aaron will uh, cast down their, their staff because this is what the Lord told them to do and it'll turn into a snake. 
Uh, Pharaoh has his own magicians that will mimic these signs that Moses and Aaron do. Um, This mimicking only lasts a few signs, though, through a few of the plagues. And the one thing that I've seen uh, about this mimicking that the magicians that Pharaoh has does is that these magicians appear to be powerless to stop any of the plagues that God is causing through Moses and Aaron. Um, but they can add to the chaos of the plagues. They can, they can recreate them, they can do them too, but they can't stop them because we see Pharaoh goes to Moses after the frogs and, and his magicians have created more frogs. They brought more frogs out, but he then goes to Moses and says, hey, can you tell God to stop with the frogs? Can, and I'll let your people go. I'll let your people go worship, but that's uh, not what Pharaoh actually intends to do. See, God has laid out his plan to Pharaoh through Moses. He, he's laid out his plan and said, hey, my people are going to be leaving Egypt. You need to let my people go. And Pharaoh has pridefully rejected God's plan. He's pridefully rejected this request from God, even to the detriment of his own people and his own nation. Um, so God, like I said, brought 10 signs. He brought 10 plagues to Egypt, and each was demonstrating what his power is as the one true God, because Egypt has this, this pantheon of gods that are all over different elements and different aspects of the world. And, and through these plagues, God just shows that it is actually him who is in control of everything. And so the first plague, he turns uh, water to blood. Uh, the next plague, he has frogs come out. The next plague, he has gnats cover everything. The next plague, he has flies get attracted to all the livestock. The next plague, he has all the livestock of Egypt die. The next plague, all of the Egyptians are inflicted with boils that makes it hard for them to even stand. The next plague, giant hail that has never been seen before comes down and destroys any crops that are left whatsoever. The The locusts then come in and eat any of the leftovers of the scraps of the crops that are left. So anything that Egypt had of value whatsoever, resource-wise, is now destroyed and obliterated through these these plagues. Uh, Then God causes darkness to cover the land for three full days. And it leads ultimately to the death of the firstborn sons in Egypt, but we'll get more into that in just a second. You see, these plagues that are happening only affected the Egyptians in the land. The, the land that the Israelites had settled in Egypt weren't affected by the hail. They weren't affected by the dead livestock. They weren't affected by the boils. And so Pharaoh, throughout each one of these plagues, is he'll come to God, he'll come to Moses, and, and try to negotiate for God to release the, the current hold, right? Release this affliction. And so Pharaoh tries to negotiate with God, but it's only for his own relief, Right? It's not because he actually sees this power of God. It's not because he's being convinced that God is who he says he is, but it's because he wants relief from his own affliction. And after each time that Pharaoh promises Moses that he's going to let Israel go worship, he's going to let them go, um, he, he almost immediately goes back on his word and, and does not let them go. And so we see that 10 times God comes to Pharaoh with this offer, with, the, with this uh, really offer of mercy, if you ask me, for the way that he's treated his people, and says, hey, just let him go. And we see that ten times it's not God that is uh, making things harder here, but it's Mo- or Pharaoh rejecting God's plan. It's, it's Pharaoh rejecting 
whenever God comes to him that is increasing these plagues. It's making, making things more difficult. It's increasing his affliction as opposed to relieving his affliction. And so Pharaoh has again and again shown his arrogance in the face of God and refused to let his people go. And this has resulted in the destruction of Egypt, and it leads us to how, and this will be the last main point I have today, God keeps his promises, right? Going to Exodus 11, starting in verse 1 there, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. You see, Moses goes before Pharaoh and all the people of Egypt one last time, and and he warns them of this last final sign from God. He says, every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And Pharaoh, after hearing this, again does not let God's people go. So he's fully aware of the risk that he is taking on. Everything that God has uh, said through Moses to this point has happened. He's not, he's not missed yet. So God then gives Moses specific instructions to take to the, the Israelite people so that they may be spared from this judgment that's coming on Egypt. And God initiates a special covenant with his people that we call the Passover. And uh, this Passover is, like I said, a covenant sign between God and God's people to remember this event for throughout all generations. They're going to remember how God provided for them to come out of Egypt and specifically spared their firstborn sons with the marking of blood on their doorpost and on their lentils. Um, and what we see is that God did exactly what he said that he would do. That night, the Lord uh, struck down all the firstborn in Egypt who were not covered by the blood. And as God had said, this was the sign that would make Pharaoh send Egypt or send Israel out of Egypt. Uh, And what I see from this is that God's plan is actually how God keeps his promises to us, right? And so regardless of the path that we end up taking, this path of humility or this path of arrogance, God always keeps his promises to us. With mercy and grace that we don't deserve on either side of the path, God is right there with us each side of the way. And God kept his promise to his people, and he established Passover with them. He he brought them out of Egypt, and God kept his promise to Pharaoh. And did exactly what Moses said that he would do all along the way. See, it was Pharaoh's rejection of God and God's plan that led to the death of even his firstborn son. And it's what's going to lead to his own death as well. See, at the Red Sea, we can see where both the path of arrogance and this path of humility lead us. And as Moses and the people of Israel were uh, being led out of Egypt by the Lord because Pharaoh had sent them away after this Passover night, uh, Pharaoh's heart was again hardened, and he regretted letting the people of Israel go. So much so that he gathered his army, he gathered all the chariots, he gathered all of his people, and in arrogant disbelief, 
of who God is and what he said he was going to do, um, he chases after the people of Israel. And put yourself in the shoes of the people of Israel. Now you're walking out of Egypt with adorned in the gold that they've put on you to send, send out, and now you see this army chasing you. You're probably going to be pretty, pretty scared, right? This big army of chariots coming after you, you know they're coming. So when the people of Israel saw Pharaoh's army coming, they feared. They immediately feared for their lives. That's, that seems to be a pretty common trend with where people as a whole go whenever we're faced with adversity. We fear. Um, but Moses, instead of fearing along with everyone else, he's done what you know, we're, we're looking at him to do. He's walking this path of humility, and he turns faithfully to God, and he, he trusts what he says. And God tells Moses to stretch out his staff over the waters of the Red Sea uh, so that they would be separated into dry ground to walk on. And that's exactly what we see happen. See, Moses again goes to God who has equipped him to lead the people of Israel out of an impossible situation. They're faced against the ocean and an incoming army, and God separates the waters to allow them to cross. And so we see that the path of humility leads to life. See, that's, that's, that's where we're going to end up whenever we choose to, to fall underneath God, whenever we choose to put God as the head of our life and we choose to follow his plan for us. Um, and on the flip side of that, we see that Pharaoh and his army seen that the water split too, right? And Pharaoh and his army follows Israel into the sea, um, but God made it so that their wills would get stuck. The wheels of the chariot did not spin very well on ocean floor, and uh, Israel exit safely from the Red Sea, and God would close up the waters of the Red Sea on, arm, on the army of Egypt and Pharaoh. And this is what would seal Pharaoh's fate. Uh, see, Pharaoh let his pride and rejection of God destroy every aspect of his own kingdom and his people. He let it destroy every aspect of his family, his bloodline, the, the people that were going to inherit the crown, and then he ultimately uh, let his own life be destroyed with this arrogant disbelief of who God is. See, the path of arrogance in many different ways will always lead to death. And that's, uh, that's just what I see being played out here. Um, see, it's the faith of Moses that he heard God in the wilderness and he believed. He had his, uh, he had his qualms, right? He didn't think that he was good enough to do what God was calling him to do. He didn't think that he could speak good enough. He didn't think that he had anything to give to the people of Israel who had already rejected him. But instead, God equipped him and he, he followed what God had told him to do. And see, it's the faith of Moses that he heard God and believed, and that's something that we can do in our life too, right? We can, we can know who God is, we can hear him, he can call out to us, and, and we can believe him. And it's the death of Pharaoh... Um, see, the death of Pharaoh was that he also heard God. God come to him through Moses. He, he had a plan, and he had a part in the plan that he could have played, but instead he rejected him. See, Pharaoh rejected God, and that too is something that we can do in our own life. Um, we can know who God is. We can know what he's done for us, and, and we can still uh, come to the conclusion that it's not worth putting him at the head of our life, we can still choose not to follow him and we can reject him. See, we all have to choose humility or arrogance before God 
And the reality is that we only choose humility because the default path is the path of arrogance. When we don't choose to put God over us, then we're going to walk in such a way that he doesn't exist regardless. And that automatically puts us on the path of arrogance. Um, And so in closing today, I want to point out that uh, we are all heirs of God's promise through his son, Jesus. And so Paul tells us in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 and 29, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. See, God revealed himself to each one of us through his son Jesus. And he has revealed through his word his desire to know us intimately, to walk with us, for us to have this relationship with him. And whether we realize it or not, every person is living their life either in collaboration with or in direct opposition to who God is and what his plan is for our lives. And the honest truth is uh, we, we as people have historically responded to God's plan as we see the people of Israel uh, do so as they get across the Red Sea and, and continue on this walk. You see, as Moses and the people of Israel continue to travel from, from worshiping God at the Red Sea, seeing all the things that he's done, seeing the power displayed, um, they begin to grumble because they don't have any water. They begin to grumble because they don't know if their needs are going to get met. They, they begin to grumble because it seems that they have forgotten what God has just done in Egypt and at the Red Sea. Um, And see, that's something that we can easily do too, right? It's really easy for us to forget what God's done in our lives. It's really easy for us to see God move in a miraculous way and, and, and pull us out of a certain situation just to get a few years down the road and be in a different situation and not know if God's gonna come through or if he's around or... And uh, the reality is, and this is... Uh, something that's hard for me to deal with personally, is that uh, it's the same God, right, who made this way out of Egypt for his people, who has this grand plan that's fallen along just perfect. It's that same God who chose to take the cross to make a way of redemption for all of us, right? And so uh, Jesus went to the cross to uh, pave a way for us to come into eternity with him. And Jesus, whenever he did that, he doesn't, this is going back to my my original point this morning with with our directions, okay? Jesus doesn't call us up and give us directions on how to get from point A to point B, hoping that we can understand what he's saying and, and make it, right? It's just not how Jesus works, because that leaves way too much error on our side. Instead, what Jesus does is Jesus says, hey, let me come pick you up. He calls you. He says, let me come pick you up, because... I've already provided the way. I've already made the way. See, we don't have to uh, drive anymore. We don't have to feel anxious or lost whenever we're trying to follow God because Jesus just tells us to come to him. He's going to lay it out for us. He's, he's given us his word. He's given us the body, and he's given us himself. And uh, just a couple encouragements. Luke 19.10 says that he came to seek and save the lost, right? So if you feel lost, even trying to follow him, just call out to him. And 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us that we can cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, Jesus saved his people out of Egypt. 
Jesus is the only hope that we have to overcome the pride in our life that leads to this path of arrogance. Let's call out to him and remember him today.